So it is good to have you all back this evening as we have been studying verse by verse through the book of Ephesians on Sunday nights. And we have taken the last four Sunday nights in Ephesians to study the redemptive story of God, also known as the gospel. And I use a lot of phrases over and over and over to make sure they sit in people's minds and that they could answer these themselves. But the gospel is the good news that tells of God's design, sin's intrusion, and Christ's solution for human flourishing. And to visualize what we've been walking through, we've actually been building two parallel rails for the train of the gospel. And rail number one is the big picture of redemption that begins in the book of Genesis, goes all the way through the book of Revelation. It is kind of your 30,000-foot view of the story of God. Then we talked about a second rail that we're building, and that is individual truths that are found in Ephesians chapter 2 that help us better understand this big redemptive story. It's kind of your 30-foot view, so to speak. So if you've got your sermon outline sheet in front of you, you will notice that there's four key truths that have been building in rail number one. Let me read through those very quickly. That is, humanity is separated from God by sin and incapable of reconciling the relationship. Second truth, God loved us while we were sinners and made reconciliation possible through Jesus' death and resurrection. Truth number three, at salvation... We are united with Christ and our position is permanently changed according to God's great and gracious purposes. And then the fourth truth is salvation is God's gift of grace that is received through faith in Christ. Now with each of these big truths, I have elaborated upon those with specific insights that are found right there in Ephesians chapter 2. And the goal of each week has been twofold to help people understand the basic storyline of redemption, of the gospel, and number two, to understand the process of redemption. So when I talk about those two things, hopefully at this point, everybody who's been listening to the series understands the basic storyline of the gospel is about relationship. Created for relationship, sin separated the relationship, Jesus did what was necessary to reconcile the relationship. Okay, it's all about relationship. Hopefully at this point, everyone understands the process of redemption. That is what Jesus did and why Jesus did it. Those two pieces are essential. If we understand what Jesus did and why Jesus did it, then we can approach the gospel from any particular standpoint because we understand what it's about. We're not locked into one presentation of the gospel. We're, we're not locked into you have to share the four spiritual laws or you're not locked into even the presentation that I give. You can approach the gospel from any pr perspective. For example, you can approach it from the angle of sin, forgiveness, reconciliation, purpose, separation, relationship, grace, friendship, love, mercy, joy, religion, restlessness, peace, the the angle doesn't matter because you understand what Jesus did and why Jesus did it. That's why I've taken a lot of time building out this story of the gospel, the story of redemption. Well, today we take a final step. That is, if a person has repented of their sin by placing faith in Jesus Christ, that person is born again. They are new creation in Christ. They are saved they are reconciled to their creator. 
And if the whole story has been about relationship, and now they are rightly related to God through Jesus Christ, what does God want to do with the relationship? Like, what's the next step? This is the area I am convinced that the church has often dropped the ball and we've not shared the rest of the gospel story. We've made the goal of the gospel and the end of the gospel a person getting saved. That's not the end. When a person gets saved, they've now entered right relationship with God. They are now rightly related to their creator. And now you get an opportunity to live out that relationship. And we need to help people understand what does that look like? What does God want to do in and through the lives of those who are his followers? So today we finish the redemptive story of God by focusing on God's plan. Now, if you were to lay out the pieces we've been walking through so far, we have studied humanity's spiritual condition prior to Christ. We have studied Christ's work for redemption. And now we're talking about God's plan after a person has been reconciled to him. So if you're not already there in Ephesians chapter 2, I invite you to go to that text, Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 10. I am speaking this evening on the subject of redemption and God's plan. We only have one verse tonight. It's a simple verse, but it's one of my favorite verses in the New Testament. Here's what the text says. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. That's so short we can read it again. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask right now that your spirit guide us into all truth, that we walk away from the text knowing exactly what you desire for us to know. And Lord, may we live out your plan as it is outlined in, the, in your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. I don't know if everybody picked up God's incredible plan as we read the verse twice, but if you didn't, then we're going to come at it from a different translation of the Bible for just a moment. Uh, many people have different Bible translations, and a lot of our English translations, whether or not it is NIV, New American Standard, ESV, King James, it really doesn't matter. Your English translations of the Bible have been assembled many times by a group of biblical scholars as they go into the original text and they try to discern as best they can the meaning of the words, the meaning of the text based upon context. But you'll often find that many times a pastor or maybe a Bible study teacher will say something like this. This verse could be also translated as, and then they give another part of that. And the reason is because so many of the words and phrases, they have a different meaning dependent upon context. So one of the Bible translations that is out there, it's called the Amplified Bible. It actually puts in a number of those other pieces to help people understand. Now, granted, the Amplified itself is a really, really big translation. They, they put in so many other words that are possibilities. Sometimes it can be cumbersome, but I want you to listen to the same verse out of the Amplified. Here's what it says. For we are God's own handiwork, 
his workmanship. Pause there. Do you see how it's two words? His handiwork, his workmanship. It's the same basic idea. It is we are the thing that he is working upon. It goes on to say recreated in Christ Jesus, born anew, that we may do those good works which God predestined, planned beforehand for us, taking paths which he prepared ahead of time. Listen to this, that we should walk in them, living the good life that he prearranged and made ready for us to live. Boy, that's got all sorts of goodness going on in there. I love what the text is saying. I like the translation because it addresses one great truth that we're, we're famous for saying, but oftentimes we struggle to be able to elaborate on. We're very quick to say, God has a wonderful plan for your life. Then somebody's like, well, what is it? I don't know, but he's got a great plan for your life. Well, this is one of those texts that helps us understand God's incredible plan for your life. Did you know when you were born, you did not shock God? It wasn't like you were born and he's like, whoa, where'd that one come from? I'm going to have to totally recalibrate everything I've been doing. I, I didn't account for this one. You have been made on purpose for a purpose. There's a purpose that he's saying in this text, recreated in Christ Jesus, born anew, that you may do those good works which God predestined, planned beforehand for us. Whenever Christians hear that God has a plan for their life, they get both excited and concerned at the same time. Excited because that sounds like a really good thing, like God has a plan for my life. Wonderful. Concerned because it's spoken of like this mysterious thing in the church that only the most holy of the most holy of the most holy will ever know anything about. It's like you've got to read the Bible and pray and go to church 51 and a half out of 52 Sundays in a year. That The other one is you just miss, you know, connect group on that Sunday. You have to, you know, talk with the right friends. You got to do all of these things in order to know what is this plan. And maybe over time, with prayer, with sacrifice, maybe over time, you can crack the divine code and figure out God's plan for your life. Well, that mentality creates a lot of anxiety with everyday decisions. People now get anxious about basic things because they don't want to mess up the plan and they don't want to do the wrong thing, so they get paralyzed. Like, I, I, I don't, is this God's plan? Is it not God's plan? What, what do I do in this moment? Okay, can I just say, living in fear of God's plan is not God's plan. That could be the clearest statement you hear on the will of God tonight. That is not God's plan. What good is it for God to have this amazing plan if you and I don't know what it is? God wants us to know his plan more than what we want to know his plan. God wants us to understand this. But here's where we begin to get off track. We're looking for specifics instead of engaging his process. We want God to show us specifics. 
Who do I marry? How many kids am I supposed to have? What is my dream job? Where am I supposed to live? What's the right salary for me? We want God to give the specifics, but we don't want to engage the process. God's plan follows his process. When we engage the process, he reveals the plan and the specifics in time. So here's the process. It is key truth number five. As we abide in Christ, God accomplishes his works in us and through us. That's your process. That's the, the way it comes out. As we abide in Christ, God accomplishes his good works in us and through us. Said differently, as we walk with Jesus in daily obedience, he walks us towards his best for our life. The, the big goal is not figure out God's plan. The big goal is get to know the person of Jesus Christ. As you get to know him, as you abide in him, he lives his will, his purposes in and through us. So let's start with the first part of this statement as we abide in Christ. Now remember, the entire redemptive story of God is about relationship. And several weeks ago, I walked people through a process. I, I showed the relational proximity of God with humanity throughout Scripture. And, and this is a part of your notes. You can still go back and find it right now. That pattern is crucial for our understanding of this fifth point. If, if you forgot that, if you were not here for it, here's the basics. In the Old Testament, the visible presence of God, the manifestation of God, the Shekinah glory of God was with us in the garden, among us through much of the Old Testament, separated from us because of sin back in Ezekiel's day. And, and, and remember, that's not that God was gone. I'm talking about the visible presence of God, the manifestation, the Shekinah glory of God, separated from us for almost 600 years. But then in the New Testament, God's visible presence is back with us in the birth of Jesus. He is Emmanuel. He is Christ in us, with us. And then he is with us and in us after the ascension and with the arrival of the Holy Spirit. There is no closer relationship than God abiding in us. Now, when we started Ephesians, Probably a year ago. That was a long time ago. I can hardly remember when we started Ephesians. It was a while back. When we started in chapter 1, I encouraged everybody to underline or highlight every time the text said, in Christ, in him, in the beloved. That phrase, that idea, it's in Christ truth. As a Christian, you are in Christ and Christ is in you. Okay, that idea of in Christ truth it appears 164 times in the Apostle Paul's writings. This is important. This is important. If you get nothing else tonight, hear these next two statements. The moment a person enters relationship with God through Jesus Christ, the moment it happens, the emphasis of the New Testament shifts to God in you and God through you. The moment the relationship happens, if a Christian does not understand God living in them and through them, then they will try to live for God and from self. 
You need to hear that again. That's so, I appreciate you liking that, Ken. I'm going to share it with you all again. Here it is. If a Christian does not understand God living in them and through them, they will try to live for God and from self. Uh, the first approach, that, that idea of God living in them and through them, that is God's plan. It leads to the abundant, amazing life. It, it is the path prepared ahead of time. It is the good life he prearranged and made ready for us to live. The second way of a person living for God and from self, that is an approach that will lead to a life of frustration and religion and bondage and a life that is built on self. Now, the crazy part is it's amazing how quickly we gravitate towards that life. You'll often hear a brand new believer say something like this. Now that I'm a Christian, I need to act like a Christian. I need to start going to church more. I need to clean up my, my act. Real Christians aren't supposed to be dealing with these types of sins. I see everybody else walking around with a Bible. I'm going to get me a big one. Like I, I might not read it, but my goodness, I'm going to walk in with a big Bible to church. I, I'm going to be at church. I'm going to have a big Bible, and I'm going to start praying. And, and they start this activity of I need to do this because if Jesus died for me, the least I should do is live for him. And I honestly believe the motivation is good. It's we want to do what's right. We don't want to be hypocritical. The problem is God never intended for you and I to live the Christian life for him. He desires to live the Christian life in and through us. One is human effort. The other is God-empowered activity. If we engage in this ourselves, we get frustrated. We get worn out. But if he's the one doing it in and through us, then he can accomplish what you and I could never do. Now, this issue of God living his life in and through us, it is not a new challenge for people to work through. The Apostle Paul, he addressed it multiple times, but a huge place was when he was writing the church of Galatia. He says in chapter 1, verse 6, he, he begins with, I am amazed that you were so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. And he begins to describe what this different gospel is. And they, they were wanting to go back to this works-based religion. The idea of salvation is you place faith in Jesus and you have to keep the law. And he was like, you're abandoning Christ for a different gospel. That's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then he goes on in chapter 3, verse 2, and he says, Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? If our efforts were enough, not enough to earn salvation, why would we think that our efforts would be enough to enable sanctification? He, he's, he's wanting to bring us back to the key of the whole discussion, and that is if you're saved by your good works, then continue in your good works. But if you're saved by faith in what Jesus did for you, then continue to walk in faith by what Jesus has done for you. So I've got three important questions, and how you answer these questions determines the course of your life. Here's question number one. According to Scripture, can anyone be saved by their good works? 
No. Question number two. After salvation, can a Christian in their own strength live the Christian life? No. You all are doing great. Question number three. How does God intend for our lives to be lived? The emphasis of the New Testament after somebody places faith in Christ is God lives in us and through us as we abide in Christ and walk in faith with what he directs. That's how the person grows. Now, the reason so many Christians are frustrated is they're trying to fix the problems themselves. They're trying to change their own character. They're trying to right all of the old wrongs. They get just enough, listen to this, perceived victory to keep them going, but not enough real victory to bring lasting change. There is nothing that is more frustrating than wanting to do what is right and trying to do what is right and failing to do what is right and then repeating that process for the rest of your life. That's the cycle that many Christians are caught in. That is not God's plan for us. His plan after a person places faith in Christ is he wants to live in them and he wants to live through them. That's why this next piece is so important. One of the best passages that describes this relationship of abiding and allowing God to live his life in and through us is what Jesus spoke of in John chapter 15 with the branches and the vine. This is what Jesus says in verse 4. Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. According to Jesus, the fruit we desire, the good works that we desire, cannot be achieved apart from abiding in Christ. This is a cool quote. I didn't even know of this guy until studying for this message. His name was R.W. Dale, and here's what he said, and I quote, As the branch is created in the vine, we are created in Christ. As the fruits of the branch are predetermined by the life it receives from the vine, so our good works are predetermined by the life of Christ, which is our life. In other words, the branch does not have to figure out how to bear fruit. It just needs to stay connected to the vine. You and I don't have to figure out how to produce good works. We just need to get, stay connected with Jesus, who is the vine. Our part is to abide in him. As we do, he lives in us and through us to accomplish his will and his good works. So key truth number five, as we abide in Christ, God accomplishes his good works in us and through us. Now, I have explained abiding. I have talked some about God in us and also God through us. So now I want to spend a few moments talking about the concept of good works. In each of the, the four previous messages, I've tried my best to state a biblical position that salvation is not obtained by good works. Make sense? Salvation does not come by good works. Good works are not the price of salvation. They are the proof of salvation. 
The believer is not saved as a result of good works, but good works will be the result of salvation. Okay? Now, the fact of good works and salvation being connected together, that is so strong in this text that he not only says that we are to have good works, the text says God created us in Christ Jesus for good works. And you're like, well, I don't know what they are. That's not a problem. He goes on to say that these works were specifically prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them. Anytime the Bible talks about walking or living in a context like this, it's referring to a habitual pattern of behavior. Listen to what's happening here. Paul's saying, now that you're in relationship with Christ, that's good. That's awesome. I got some good news for you. God has recreated you for good works. That's awesome. That's good news. Now that you're in this relationship, he prepared the works ahead of time, and you need to walk in them. It needs to be a regular part of your life. It needs to be a pattern in your life. It's not that we just have good works, good activity as something on the side. He was like, this needs to be the pattern. This needs to be the way that your life is lived day by day. So what are these good works? Well, there's a couple of clues that are provided in the text. First, the text speaks of God's workmanship. Verse number 10. The word workmanship is from the Greek word poema. It's where we get the word poem. Listen to this. It's a figurative way of saying God is writing his poem, his story in us. <laughs> it's his story not yours and mine. It's his story. Now, when his story's done, it's going to have a resemblance of its creator. It's going to look like him. This, this story is, is being worked out in our life like broken shards of glass that come together in a mosaic. He takes the pieces, the good, the bad, the ups, the downs, the victories, the failures, and he brings them together in this poem, this story, this workmanship of God that reflects the creator. He's like, you've been recreated in Christ Jesus, born anew, that you should walk in these good works that he prepared ahead of time. A second clue describes the good works in our life is actually found back over in chapter 1. In verse number 4, Paul describes the final product of what our life should be. And he says that when God is finished, we should be holy and blameless before him. Now that's good for us to know. It, it corresponds with the fact in Romans 8, it says that our character is to be conformed to the image of Christ. So put those two clues together. Good works describes God's activity in the believer. God is removing the old part. Okay, that, that part is dead. That part is being removed. That old way of thinking, he's taken out. He's instilling the new part. He is creating his workmanship, his poema in our life. Good works describes God's workmanship in us, but it also describes his activity through us. 
He's going to live his life in and through us. So ask yourself the question, what was the life of Jesus like when he lived for 33 years on this earth? What was his ministry like? What did he do? If Jesus is going to be living his life in and through us, chances are it's going to look a whole lot like that. So what was he involved in? He shared the good news of the kingdom. He was about the gospel. He was loving people well. He was serving people well. He was praying for others. He was standing up for those who didn't have a voice. He was doing those things. That's what he was living out. So as you and I are now followers of Christ, we find ourselves burdened by and drawn to things that used to never be a part of our mind before. Now all of a sudden, we're driving down the road, and there's a car accident on the side of the road, and all of a sudden, the thought is, pray for that person. Pray for what's And we find ourselves praying over a car accident when before we were over here like looking like this, like, what's going on over there? There's a change that's happening. Now when he is living his life in and through us, and we understand the significance of the gospel, we're like, i got to tell some people about this. We start to talk about different things. Now when, when we see people and maybe they don't act like us or maybe they don't think like us, and at one point it used to have an anger that would come up, a hostility, then you begin to think about the fact that Jesus still loved people well. Amen. And about the time you get really mad, he's like, that, that's not the way. That's not what I'm about. Changes begin to happen as he lives his life in and through us. In one of the most moving passages of the New Testament, the Apostle Paul summarizes this life of Christ living through us, summarizes it for the church of Colossae. I just want to read the statement he gave, Colossians chapter 1, verse 25 and following. Here's what he said that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God, that is the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to the saints. The mystery. It's almost like Paul leans into the audience. He's like, I got to tell you a secret. There's a mystery that others didn't understand, but it's now been manifested to us. And he picks up in verse 27, and he says, To whom God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. What's the mystery, Paul? What's the thing that was hidden from generations in the past that's now been manifested to us today? He says this, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. <laughs> if your hope is on anything other than Christ in you. Your hope's in the wrong place. If your hope is in the fact that you can make your own decisions, change your own character, you can do it yourself, that is setting you up for a life of discouragement and frustration and burden. But if your hope is, Jesus, I couldn't save myself, but you saved me. If your hope is, I cannot sanctify myself, but you can. 
My faith is in you. My hope is in you. It's not me for you. It is you in me and you through me. That's where my hope is at. When a person is simply abiding in Christ, here's what happens. God begins to live his life in and through them. And all of a sudden, he's walking you into his plan moment by moment. You're engaging in the process, but as you engage the process, he makes the specifics clear. He's living his life in and through you. All right, I don't know if you all knew this or not. Some of you all don't think I'm an introvert. I am. I am. I am. See, my wife can testify I'm an introvert. Okay, the reason I, I say the issue comes back to spending time with God and he will direct when I was in college, I went to a Bible study, sat in this Bible study, and, and I was listening, and I walked away frustrated week after week, and I'm like, they keep leaving out the good stuff. Like, they, they just read the passage and said, you all kind of agree with that? Great, let's move on. And I was like, but what about this? And you didn't bring up that, and you missed this. And I'm sitting there lying in bed at night, saying, God, why do they keep missing the good stuff? And here's the thought that came to mind. Start a Bible study. I was like, mm-hmm. <laughs> Lord, uh, I don't get up in front of people. I, I don't, I'm an introvert. That's not my nature. And, and by the way, in the time, I'm pursuing a degree in accounting. Can you see me as an accountant? <laughs> my numbers are not that good, I promise. So I'm over there pursuing this degree thinking, here's God's plan for my life. And as I'm in the word and I'm in prayer, he's like, start a Bible study. And I, I tried to debate with God. I was like, God, that is not me. That's for somebody else. And he would not let me go to sleep that night. And finally, I was like, all right, Lord, I will at least ask the group if they would like a Bible study. So I went and I talked to the leadership of this. It was, I guess it's the BSM is what it is right now. And they said, we'd love for you to do a study. I was like, mm, all right, that backfired on me. So then, then I shared with some people. And on that first day, there were four people sitting there. And for 45 minutes, I preached my face off to them. Like, they sat here and they were like this. I mean, their eyes were peeled back. I had no idea. How do you teach the word? What do you change? What context? I got up and I gave them both barrels for 45 solid minutes. And afterwards, a couple said, are you sure God hadn't called you to be a pastor? I was like, I got no idea what I'm supposed to do. The next week, there were eight people in there. And a couple more came back. And they said, are you sure God's not called you to be a pastor? And then inside of about a month, it grew to about 60 people. There were professors who were showing up. There were college students who shared with their parents, and the parents got off work at lunch, and they showed up to come to this Bible study. And each time, another after another said, are you sure God's not called you to be a pastor? And I kept saying, I don't know what he's called me to, but I'm just trusting that he's going to reveal it in time. Here's the thing. I, I wasn't smart enough to sit down and say, Lord, what's your plan? I heard you. I'm supposed to be a pastor. Instead, I was simply spending time with God 
And he was just put this next thought. Will you take this step of obedience? And as I'm just walking with him, he just keeps opening another door. And he opened another door. And he opened another door. And all of a sudden, I look back after 25-some years, and it's so funny, people who graduated from high school with me, they're like, who are you? I'm like, I don't know. Like, it's, like, this was not my plan. My plan was to get a degree in business and to be married and to have two and a half kids and to live the American dream. Like, that was my plan. But, but, but that wasn't God's plan. Here, here it is. God's plan is get to know Jesus. And as we get to know him, he takes you step by step by step, and he reveals the next part of the process. And all of a sudden, you look back, and you're like, I'm walking in the will of God. I am so glad that God challenged me to do a Bible study. Well, hey, thanks for that. I'm glad about that too. That was not my point, but amen. All right, so here, let's, let's finish this out. <laughs> that could have gone really wrong. There's, there's thoughts that come out, and you're like, if everybody doesn't like that, that's going to be bad. All right, so here it is. Uh, God's plan follows his process. When we engage the process, the specifics of the plan are revealed in time. As we walk with Jesus in obedience, he walks us into his plan. The big goal is not figure out the plan of God. The big goal is get to know the person of Jesus Christ. As we get to know him, as we abide in him, as we are walking with him, he lives his life in and through us. He accomplishes his good works in our lives and through our lives. Put all the pieces together. Humanity is separated from God by sin and incapable of reconciling the relationship. God loved us while we were sinners and made reconciliation possible through Jesus' death and resurrection. At salvation, we are united with Christ and our position is permanently changed according to God's great and gracious purposes. Salvation is God's gift of grace that is received through faith in Christ. And as we abide in Christ, God accomplishes his good works in us and through us. This is the story of redemption. This is the good news of the gospel. We have much to celebrate, amen? amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we close out the service right now, Lord, we ask that you would allow the truths of the gospel, the message of redemption, to go deeper and deeper and deeper into our hearts. God, I pray that we won't just stop at a, a position of knowing that one day we get a chance to go to heaven. Lord, may we live out this gospel day by day. It is a declaration to us, but it's also great news that is being lived out through us. So Lord, we pray that you would continue to do the work. In Jesus' name, amen.